We all know that I love making and recording my own podcast. Loudmouth is my heart and soul. But what's even more fun is that it's easy to do. And guess what? (laughs) You can do one too. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Because it's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your own podcast right from your phone or your computer. Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and anywhere else you can listen to podcasts. You can make money from it with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast right there in one place for free. So download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. Welcome back to Loudmouth Podcast. My name is Madison Handler, and I'm your host today and every day on this podcast. Um, as you may or may not know, I am in a series right now about Title IX, sexual assault on college campuses, etc. Everything that kind of goes to it. Last week, I had an episode on LGBTQ plus in sexual assault on college campuses and how Title IX affects them a little bit differently. And this week, I'm going to be talking about victim blaming. But before I get to that, I want to remind everyone that next week is my live show. It is on Thursday, August 24th. It will be at 7 p.m. in Lay Hall Auditorium and at Drury University. And I'm so excited. I actually kind of finished putting the last pieces together last night. I need to like touch up some things and everything, but I am so very excited. And it's going to be about healthy dating in college. Um, and I'm just excited. If you want to go, if you want to know more about it, you can go to my Instagram at loudmouthpod. And in my bio, there's a little link guy, and then it sends you to a bunch of other links. And there's one that says live show. And you can click on that and look at the event details and know everything about it. Um, if you have to come late, that's fine. If you have to leave early, that's fine. I'll be selling, ta- or not tickets, I'll be selling stickers for $2 a piece and proceeds go to Harmony House here in Springfield, which is a domestic violence safe space where kids, families go when they have left their abuser. So a great cause. I will also, this is the first time announcing this, my friend Riley Pohl, she has a cookie company. It's called Springfield Cookie Company. Um, and she makes really beautiful cookies. And she's going to be making some that look like mouths. And I'm only going to have about 25 to 30. So the first 25, 30 people that come and get a sticker, get a free cookie along with it. Um, but I am so, so excited. I put a lot of hard work into this, so I'm very, very happy to see it pulling through. And I, I mean, I'm excited to do it, but I also am excited to get it over with. <laughs> so just a little, just not disclaimer, just a little show notes, I guess, for you. Um, but yeah, today we're going to be talking about victim blaming, which is kind of a really big thing, especially on college campuses, because I feel like a lot of the administration and a lot of students can easily put the blame 
on the victim instead of talking about who the perpetrator is, talking about what they how what they did was wrong. And I mean, ultimately, is to make other people feel safer. They feel like, oh, this can't just happen to me. Like, it's because of something they did. I mean, in the whole case of Brock Turner, making him look like a good A-plus quality student, which maybe he was, but he did a really shitty bad thing. And yet we still focused on the good qualities. And instead, we focused on how Chanel Miller was drunk or how she was dressed or whatnot, whatever she did that night to make that happen to her. And it's a really prominent thing here in society. And people don't really get how much this affects victims and how much it affects victims' reporting. Um, so... I have the statistic here on Harvard Law, and it says only 12% of student survivors report the assault to the police. This number drops to 7% if they experience incapacitated sexual assault, Um, which is basically a direct thing saying when they're drunk and it happens, they are way less likely to report it, and... I bet some of that goes to how people will victim blame them and how people will say that because you were drunk, this happened to you. Of course, that makes sense. You shouldn't have been drunk and don't actually do anything about it. So not only on college campuses, because it is a big thing here, just saying, oh, well, he's such a nice guy. He would never do that, you know, whatever. But also in society, on newsreels, on anything you can see, a lot of the time it is it goes to victim blaming. So today we're going to kind of talk about it. I'm going to provide some examples. I'm going to provide a study that talked about victim blaming and kind of gave some insight into it. And then I'm going to kind of talk about how not to fucking do it. Uh, so yeah, let's get into it. So what is victim blaming? Victim blaming can apply to cases of rape and sexual assault, but also more mundane crimes. Like a person who gets pickpocketed and then is chided for his decision to carry his wallet in his back pocket. Anytime someone defaults to questioning what a victim could have done differently to prevent a crime, they are participating in some culture of victim blaming. Not everyone who engages in victim blaming is explicitly accusing anyone of failing to prevent what happened to them. It's more in understated forms, and people may not always realize that they're doing it. Something as simple as hearing about a crime and then thinking that you would have been more careful had you been in the victim's shoes is a mild form of victim blaming. Victim blaming is a defense mechanism to make it easier to understand crimes. This makes you feel like you can prepare for them and that bad things are not just going to happen. So when you hear something about someone getting broken into, you may think to yourself, well, they should have kept their car lock. I always keep my car lock. That's how I don't get broken into That is some form of victim blaming. It doesn't have to be, you know, the most obvious of she should have not been wearing that or anything of that sort. It can be as simple as that. And it's really just to make the person hearing about the crime feel safer. And this kind of goes into the just world hypothesis. Sherry Hamby, um, a professor of psychology, kind of created this idea. And it's one of the biggest factors that promotes victim blaming and The just world hypothesis is an idea that people deserve what happens to them. So there's a really strong need to believe that we all deserve our outcomes and our consequences, especially in America, this culture of like building yourself up, this culture of 
lifting yourself up from the bootstraps, you know, things aren't just going to happen to you in this world. You have to create them to happen to you. You have to will them to happen to you. You have to do things to make good things happen to you. You have to work hard. You have to do, etc. And when bad things happen to people in America, we automatically blame it on the person because we think, well, they must have been a bad person. They must have been doing something wrong because bad things don't just happen to good people, you know? So it's a general rule that Americans have a hard time dealing with the idea that bad things happen to good people. Like I just said, can be really easy to blame it on the person because you don't want to think, oh, that could just happen to me just because. Um, no, it could happen to you. It has to happen to you because you're doing something wrong or you're doing something good, whatever it may be. Um, victim blaming usually happens to streamer, strangers. If it's your friend, you probably wouldn't think that way about it. And at its core, victim blaming could stem from a combination of failure to empathize with victims and a free reaction triggered by the human drive for self-preservation. It's kind of what I was talking about earlier. Um, it's a big defense mechanism because you don't want to believe that that just happened to someone. You don't want to believe that the world works like that. You want to believe that somebody did something to cause a consequence in their life to happen to them. And with the whole strangers things, I mean... Most of the time, if somebody comes up and tells you about something that happened to them, um, like a burglary, which I've been, you know, stolen from lots of times. And a lot of times, yeah, I probably should have done something about it. But, I mean, can't go back and change it now. And it's still the person who did the crime's fault. But um, usually when I go and tell my friends about my car getting broken into, they don't try to sit here and blame me for what happened um it's usually a more empathizing way you know asking me what they can do and whatnot but that can happen and usually I'm sure if I told a stranger about it they would automatically be like well did you lock your car did you do this did you do this did you do everything in your will to prevent it from happening because you know your friends are there for you they don't want to see you hurt in any way like that but with a stranger, it's so much easier. You don't have a face to go with the crime. You don't know what actually happened. You can say, well, I didn't hear about it from their point of view, so I don't know. And you have a lot more excuses to blame them for what happens to them. And a big thing that leads into victim blaming in rape culture is slut shaming. Um, this idea that whatever a person is wearing directly affects what happens to them and this idea that you know women do things and they only do it for the pleasure of men and she's a slut if she's wearing that she's a slut if she posts that she's a slut if she has sex with a lot of men and that her choices are directly to be a slutty person when really sexuality is whatever the fuck you want it to be so whatever but in a culture that kind of lifts up slut shaming and makes it maybe not lifts it up but makes it easier for people to do and um, judge women based on their clothing judge women based on the way they act or whatever it leads into victim blaming which I'm sure you can pretty much guess why but it leads into this idea of she was asking for it or what she was wearing triggered it and made it happen to her so when we already look down on women who empathize or empathize who accentualize their sexuality 
it can be really easy when something bad happens to those women to be like, oh, well, she was asking for it. She had it coming to her. She has sex with a bunch of other men. Why is this one different? And that can really just make it easier for people to go straight into victim blaming, whether they mean to do it or not, and whether they mean to slut shame or not. It's still the act of consciously doing that and knowing that it's happening and knowing that this is what's said and even more so joining in on it. So if you're with a group of people and they start judging a woman based on what she's wearing and calling her a slut and all those other horrible names, it can be easy to just join in and want to do it. And that leads into a victim blaming society. So um, I have written down, I, I thought it was really clever and smart but a slut shaming culture has led to a victim blaming society um we don't want to believe that these things just happened to these girls we want to understand that they were dressed a certain way they were asking for it they were drunk whatever it may be but this whole idea around it can this whole idea about slut shaming can really lift up victim blaming even even more so some common things that are said um that kind of are victim blaming, whether underlying or very blatant. I also got this from Harvard Law, but one of them is she asked for it. So I'm sure we can already sure we already know why this is a problem, but no one asked to be raped. No one wants to be raped. Um I mean, no matter what clothes she was wearing, no matter what she was doing, no matter if she was drunk or not, sorry, if they were drunk or not. It could be anyone. Um, No one was asking to be raped in a situation. No one wants that trauma. No one wants that burden on them. So, victim blaming. Uh, It wasn't really rape. There's some need in people to differentiate between a legitimate rape and illegitimate rape. Um, So, if you're drunk and maybe you didn't cons- if you're both drunk and maybe you didn't consent all the way and in the morning or during it you feel uncomfortable people may try to illegitimate that because you were drunk um you didn't tell the person you why do you have to consent in every single situation if it's your partner why do you feel like you have to ask if it's okay and so people feel this need to be like Oh, well, rape is when a random stranger comes up to you on the side of the street and does this act to you. But rape can be with a partner. Rape can be most likely with somebody that the person knows. Uh, But there's no difference between legitimate rape and illegitimate rape. All rape is rape. He didn't mean to, which could also go back to they didn't mean to. Um, There are no blurred lines when it comes to consent. Studies suggest that most campus rapes are committed by repeat offenders, which if you heard my or if you listen to my Greek life for life one talking about Greek life and Title IX on campus, Nicole talked about how a lot of the times the offenders are on college campuses are repeat offenders and that if they do it once they're likely to do it I think it was like up to 10 times again because they're not being stopped for their crimes they don't get what's wrong with it um so this idea of they didn't mean to especially on college campuses is so so big because everyone thinks they know the person um especially with the case like Brock Turner you know he was a star swimmer 
he didn't mean to do that. He didn't know that that was like, that that was rape. He didn't know that she felt uncomfortable, whatever it may be. But really trying to defend the person when you know them or when they're a sports team or when they're a really good student or when they're known by everyone and they're a nice guy, they can still be a nice guy and do bad things. Um, They can still, everyone can still do bad things. And the phrase, they didn't mean to. Obviously, you can usually sense attention when someone's feeling uncomfortable with what's happening. Another one is they wanted it. So this is kind of going off of they asked for it, but it's the same thing. Um, Oh, well, they were grinding with him all night, so I don't get why this is right now. They were obviously wanting to be with him. No, (laughs) just because you're grinding on someone doesn't relate to I want to sleep with you. Um, and any other thing that a person does does not mean that they wanted it. If they reported for rape, they obviously did not want it. They lied. Um, this kind of goes into, like, he didn't mean to because people want to defend the person that it happens to, especially when they're a well-known person. So calling the person who's reporting a liar, calling the victim a liar is another way of victim blaming. And... Research has put false reporting rates somewhere between 2 and 5%. And this is not just separate to rape cases. This can be number across the board on crimes like burglary, whatever. 2 to 5% are false reports. So it's nothing different for rape cases. Um, and this means that about 95 to 80 or 98% of rape reports are true. So they lied. It's a stupid fucking reason. Rape is a trivial event. Rape and other forms of gender-based violence can have an immense impact on an individual. You may see the effects reflected in academic performance, substance use, depression, and more. So it's not just a one-and-done kind of thing. It sticks with people for life. And about 34% of student survivors experience post-traumatic stress disorder compared to a 9% of non-survivors. So, it doesn't just happen one time. It is a reoccurring thing, and anytime someone may step into a bedroom, they could be triggered again. And we don't know it triggers it. It could be so many different things. So, it's not just a one and done. It's something that sticks with the person for life. And finally, another example is rape is a deviant event. As much as we'd like it not to be, sexual violence is prevalent on college campuses. The shaming and silencing of victims leads to a feeling of impunity for perpetrators who often commit multiple assaults during their time on campus. And it's kind of what we talked about earlier, because they think they can get away with it, and because people just defend them saying, well, you know, it's just, it doesn't happen to everyone. They didn't do that. Like, they're too nice. People feel, perpetrators feel like they can keep doing it and then create an unsafe culture on campus. So those are some examples. And now I'm going to get into a study done by Laura Nimi and Leanne Young. And it was, and it's all about victim blaming, obviously. But it kind of went into why people feel the way they did different surveys. Um, they had about 994 participants and four separate studies, and it led to significant findings on victim blaming. 
Um, they noted that moral values play a large role in determining the likelihood that someone will engage in victim-blaming behaviors, such as rating the victim as contaminated rather than injured, and thus stigmatizing the person more for having been a victim of the crime. So certain words that they use to describe the victim, um, so contaminated kind of puts that negative connotation on it instead of being injured from a crime. They identify two primary sets of moral values that can affect the way people think about situations like this. Binding values and individualizing values are the two different ones. Everyone has a mix of the two, but people who exhibit stronger binding values tend to favor protecting a group or the interests of a team as a whole, and people who exhibit stronger individualizing values are more, fo more focused on fairness and preventing harm to an individual. If you can tell from that, binding values, people who exhibit stronger binding values are more likely to victim blame than people who, who do more individualizing values. So people who favored binding values were more likely to see the victims as blameworthy, while people who favored individualizing values were more likely to be sympathetic to victims. And this is because individualizing values looks at the person and not as a whole, the community. So if something bad happens to one person, they empathize with that. But if you experience more binding values, you're more likely to see society as a whole and as a group and as a team. So when something happens to one person, you kind of immediately put it on that one person because you don't want to see the idea that the culture is unsafe and you don't see that people are, that this one person being assaulted means that the whole culture is unsafe. It's probably something that they did. And another study, they presented participants with vignettes that described hypothetical crimes, such as Lisa was approached by Dan at a party. Dan gave Lisa a drink spiked with refinol. I think that's how you say it. Um, basically, a rape drug. Later that night, Lisa was assaulted by Dan. Participants were then asked what could have changed about the events to achieve a different outcome. Unsurprisingly, Participants who, who exhibited stronger binding values were more likely to assign responsibility for the crime to the victim or suggest actions that the victim could have taken to change the outcome. People who exhibited stronger individualizing values tended to do the exact opposite. But when the researchers manipulated the language, they found something different. They changed the, what, who the subject was for the majority of the sentences of the sentences so if it was the victim or if it was the perpetrator who led the sentences sentences some groups were given vignettes with the victim in the subject position so like i just read lisa was approached by dan and others were given vignettes with the perpetrator in the subject position dan approached lisa when the perpetrator was the subject of the sentence participants rating ratings of victim blame and victim responsibility went down significantly as they asked them to explicitly, explicitly how, they, how this outcome could have been different, and then they gave them an empty text box, and they could fill it in with whatever they wanted. Their references to the victim act, actions, things like, oh, she should have called a cab, decreased. So they had a harder time coming up with things that the victim should have done, and were focusing left, less on the victim's behavior in general. And, I mean, this kind of makes sense in a grammar aspect of it because 
when you put somebody at the subject, they're the main person in the story. So when we put the perpetrator as the subject, we put more blame on them, which is how it should be. But when someone talks about how something happened to a person, so Lisa was assaulted, we tend to look at Lisa more and put the blame on her. So it's just kind of how you view who is the subject and who was doing the thing. Um, So that suggests how media should present cases in text and how it can change people's thought about victims. So if we focus on the victim, it increases victim blaming. And if we focus on the perpetrator, there's less victim blaming. And this is all from the Atlantic. Just want to cite my sources. But that is so important for people involved in media, even like especially on college campuses. But if we look at the perpetrator more, it's very prevalent that the perpetrator is going to be the one that gets the blame, which is how it should be. If you're telling the story and your main part of the story is you, people are going to be thinking about you more than any of your other minor characters in it. So if we focus on the victims, people are going to be more likely in their brains automatically focusing on those victims and thinking of things that they could have done differently to make the situation not happen to them, to make Lisa not be assaulted by Dan instead of Dan not assaulting Lisa. An immediate change, and you can kind of tell that it changes the whole idea of the story. So, now that we got that study out of the way, I'm going to present some things of how to stop victim blaming or how to stop your friends from victim blaming, even if it's super undermining or, or underlying. It is still so, so important because it just makes it okay in people's heads that this is an okay thing to do to blame the victim of a crime instead of looking at anything. And it doesn't have to be just with assault. It can be with burglary. It can be with anything. Just trying to stop it at its lowest form is so, so important. So, if you're one to victim blame, start thinking at the, as the victims, as your friends, or even as you in that situation. When you think of it as your friends, it's a lot easier to defend the victim and instead focus on the perpetrator because when it's your friends, you empathize with them and you want them to be safe. So putting the blame on them is not what you do as a friend. You focus on the person who did it to their friend. You want to fight. You want to post up and get that motherfucker for whatever they did. So thinking of victims as your friends when you see it in the news cycle, um, instead of focusing them on as some stranger because then one you dehumanize them in your brain so it's easier for you to kind of hone in on how they could have fixed it but two it doesn't it doesn't make it that personal thing and it doesn't make it feel like it could happen to you and then another thing is reframing the way we think about rape so one thing that might be problematic is the myth mythicalizing of rape and how it's made to be that no that no normal person could be perceived as being a rapist. When it occurs, it is so horrifying that people can't conceive that their own brother or person they know could be a rapist. So understanding the idea that rape is not a trivial thing and understanding that it can happen to anyone and anyone can be the perpetrator of it. Because once we start putting this thing that, oh, it only happens to bad people, they obviously did something to make it happen to them. And we understand that rape just fucking happens and it's fucked up and it's sucks to admit it that we are in a society that does something so terrible 
it's easier to understand that it's not just because a person did something wrong. It's because people are bad people and those perpetrators should be punished for their crimes. And this is another kind of defense mechanism and it's one that leads to close that leads those close to perpetrators to either deny or diminish their crime in order to avoid dealing with the difficult cognitive process of accepting that someone they knew they loved were capable of doing such a thing. And if that ever does happen to someone, know that it's not your fault. And that's so hard to understand. Like, oh, I should have known. Or, you know, he's such a nice guy to me. Knowing that it's not your fault and accepting that and focusing on, you know what, they did do this really fucked up crime and that's messed up and making it more of your mission to protect people who these things are happening to instead of don't put that blame on you and don't think of the person as this mythical creature that can do no wrong even if you love them people you love do things wrong all the time and we accept it even if it is as big as a crime or as big as hurting you we have to think of these people for what they did and we have to Except that, yeah, they can be a nice person. They could be a great person. But they did this really, really bad thing. And they need to be punished for that. Another thing that you can do is work on empathy training. And trying to see it from another point of view. I don't have this problem because I am an empath to the upteenth degree. Um, My empathy is so very strong that sometimes it's crazy. But I can understand when people you know, don't look at feelings as strongly as I do, maybe are more of the intellectual kind of way of making decisions. I can understand that it can make it harder to empathize with the victim. And instead of looking at, instead of looking at it as an intellectual way of, you know, saying how you could prevent the crime, instead of focusing on, you know what, that person went through something really, really strong and there's nothing that they could have done different to make it happen to them. And instead focusing on the perpetrator. So, kind of working with your friends through empathy if they are starting to victim blame and show them, you know, what if this was me that you were talking about? Would you say these same things? And accepting that sometimes bad things happen to good people. Just understanding that not the world isn't some comic book and villains don't get what's coming to them all the time. And good people don't always get the most amazing things. And bad things happen to good people all the time. Call out victim blaming when you hear it, which is kind of what I'm teaching you now. But don't just call it out, but call people in and teach them why it's not okay. Say, you know what? You said that it was probably a lie. Well, like, let's think of it this way. Let's just believe the person. We don't know anything about it. And instead, let's just support that person and maybe, you know, try to create a better awareness about rape and sexual assault on campus. Focus on the perpetrator, kind of how the whole study talked about making sure that we're putting the perpetrator in the subject of these crimes instead of the victim. Educate people on how to handle when someone tells you their story. So teaching people it's okay to deal with the actual crime rather than their automatic emotion to assume that they did something wrong. So kind of learning how to deal with people when they tell you about a sexual assault or when um, your friend comes up to you and talk to you about it making sure that they feel safe making sure that they feel heard making sure that in your brain you're focusing on the crime that happened to this person and not on the emotional response that you have to defend how the crime happened and how to make it safer in your head because sometimes bad things just happen 
this is kind of some tips on how to handle when someone tells you their story. So making sure that the survivor feels comfortable and in control of the conversation. Remember that telling their story can be extremely triggering. Give the survivor the time they need. So don't talk over them. Let them talk. If they start crying, let them cry. They need a break. Let them take a break. Inform the survivor on their options and appropriate resources. Understand that the part of the brain's response to trauma is to block out certain memories and take care of your own emotional well-being. So it can be hard. I mean, one, it can be hard to be assaulted, but it can be hard to be that friend that someone leans on because there could be things that you want them to do that they don't feel comfortable doing yet. And if they don't feel comfortable reporting yet, then don't force them to. And take care of yourself because if you're not in the best emotional state, then you can't really help them be in the best emotional state. So basically, victim blaming as a whole is really messed up and it can be underlying things that it does. It doesn't have to be as obvious as, oh, well, they should have worn something different. They should have done something different. It could be, oh, well they lied about it or well rape is only a one-time thing it doesn't matter it can be very underlying things and it doesn't have to be just with assault it could be with burglary with anything of that sorts so just want to leave you with a few thoughts that all shame should be on the perpetrator and not on the victim because the victim is already going through a really tough time They already had this event happen to them. They're already having to tell their story. They're already having to live through the trauma of it. And we should not put the perpetrator's actions onto them. We should not put the perpetrator's burdens onto the victim. And instead, we should focus on the crime, understand that it was fucked up, focus on how we can make it not happen again, focus on how we can punish the perpetrator. So friends, when you hear things like this happening or when you get told a story, let's focus on the person who did the crime and let's be there for the victim. And let's, you know, speak up about it. Every one of these episodes has ended with me hoping that in some way this inspires you to advocate on your campus. And if you hear administration doing any of these things, make sure you, you know, call it out. If you feel comfortable to do it in person, do it in person, but you could also send an email. You can also do so many other things, but make sure that the administration knows that this isn't okay and anyone who participates in it isn't okay. Most of the time, they probably don't even know that they're doing it, so make sure you kind of provide with them with some reasons why it was wrong instead of maybe just calling them out and making them feel attacked you know call them in tell them why that's not okay tell them why it promotes a rape culture tell them why slut shaming promotes this idea of victim blaming um i know that you all can do it because you all are loudmouth motherfuckers and we go in and we try to make things happen so that's all about victim blaming and i really hope this kind of inspires you whenever you hear it to say something about it to stand up about it and remember like i said in my last episode with Michael is that you know you don't have to change the whole world if you just change one person's mind around something you are doing enough so if you hear someone victim blaming call them in be like hey that's not okay and know that that's you changing 
the culture around rape and changing the culture around victim blaming. Again, if any of you have experienced anything of this matter, we have Harmony here, House here in Springfield. You can go to the administration. You can go to the office um, to security and report it. You can go to the victim center. You can go to different groups like allies and talk it through, whatnot, have a support group. But just know that you are not alone. And <clears throat> I'm so, so proud of you for getting how far you have been. And if anyone tries to blame it on you, tell me and I will fucking fight them. So that is all about victim blaming. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode. Next week will be my live show on Thursday, October 24th. Follow me at loudmouthpod on Instagram to kind of keep up to date with it. And I'm so excited. Thank you all for listening. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, you can DM me on Instagram or email me at loudmouthpod1 at gmail.com. And I will see you all next week. Thank you for listening. Have a good day.